Hello and welcome to The Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies, driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a key focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of The Legal Marketing Studio. Today I'm joined by Jason Lisi of Legal Internet Solutions, Inc., which is Lisi for short, clever that. So Jason, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. Thanks very much for having me. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about all of these new digital tools. And there's this sense that you have to do everything, that you need to have a complete presence online. Could you, you know, give us a sense of what a complete online presence might look like? You know, I founded my company um, 20 years ago after having practiced law. And so 20 years ago, uh, a lot of the things that are online now were not online. Um, Some new things that have developed, like social media, has developed in the time since we started the company. Um, So there are some things that are uh, timeless that uh, that you would have done back in 1999. Uh, And then there are things that you would do as of the last few years. Basically, what I've done is I've boiled it down to about five elements, um, and I call it the five elements of a complete law firm online presence. And it really comes out of the, the, the five element theory in Eastern medicine, fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. Um, and I, I have applied that to legal marketing. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think if uh, you have, if you've touched on each of these five elements, your firm will have a complete as much as it can be, uh, presence on the internet. Um, and at least that's, it's the baseline from which to start. With that intro, what are the five, <laughs> five areas? <laughs> well, the first one is a well-designed and informative website. The second is proper placement in the search engines. The third one is proper placement in local and legal directories. The fourth is presence and activity in social media. And the fifth one is ongoing online marketing, such as search engine optimization or pay-per-click. Before we talk about how those all kind of interact, could you give kind of maybe a a 30,000-foot view of what best practices look like for each of those? The, The first element is the first element for a reason. Most things need to lead back to your website. Um, the website and the reason that I uh, left the practice of law in order to go into this business, um, the website is a great advertising vehicle. It can have far more pages than a brochure. It can be updated immediately. It can be searched. Um, You can have certain pages that um, encourage the visitor to do certain things. Um, It's very flexible, dynamic, and there are new things being thought up for website presentation all the time. So really, the, the, the base um, uh, of all of this is you want to get people to a well-designed, informative website. Now, what does well-designed mean? You know, just like um, a firm will update their lobby every so often because shag carpeting and, you know, uh, chrome chairs uh, aren't going to work in, in our, our era, but they may have worked in the 70s. You do have to change your, uh, the, the design of your site to um, at least stay uh, in tune with aesthetics, you know, current aesthetics. Um, no longer do you have the little skinny website pages that, that will have to fit on a, on a square cathode ray tube monitor. Now most are sort of, if you think, widescreen format TVs. You know, that's what most monitors are. And a lot of websites have been built to, to that. 
to that aspect ratio. Um, so there's certainly an aesthetic design to it. You know, the, the concept of cramming everything on the home page, no longer really a thing anymore. Um, in some cases it is, but uh, in most cases you want to set a tone with the front of the website, unless you have the most consumer-based uh, type of practice. Then the information on the website. The information is, it costs almost nothing to create more and more and more and more pages after you've created the context for, for the website. And uh, so that you can have deep dives on into your practice area and you can demonstrate um, expertise. Now we're not supposed to say that word, but you know, you can demonstrate expertise or subject matter um, thought leadership by publishing a lot of content on a particular practice area. It's so easy to appear as a, as an authority on a particular topic um, just by presenting on your website a lot of information on that topic. Now, does, does it mean that you've actually practiced that to the extent that you have the information on there? It doesn't have to be, but it is all about marketing. Marketing is about, to an extent, and I know some lawyers are uh, uncomfortable with this, but to an extent, it's a little bit of waving and jumping up and down and saying, hey, look at me. You know, I, I deserve your attention. Come on, let's, you know, c come on in and, and contact us for your legal matter. Uh, this conversation isn't about, you know, Lucy per se, right. but just to give people an idea of where you're coming from as, as we go through this conversation, mm -hmm. do you have a particular uh, philosophy towards the websites? I know some people are more towards that purely aesthetic design branding exercise, and some are much more about content and treating websites almost like, like, a, like a news site where you're constantly redirecting people. Where, where do you kind of fall on the philosophical spectrum of, of law firm websites? The tool has to fit the problem, okay? And so there's um, different types of designs you're gonna use in different scenarios. I like to basically, although this is a rough categorization, categorize websites in three different groups. The first group is what is called a lead generation website. Now, the, those are going to be for much more of your consumer-based type of practices. So for instance, we have just taken on a, uh, a national um, lemon law, you know, a defective auto type firm. And it's all about leads and getting five, 10 leads a day in. You really have to churn and build up a whole bunch of client base to gain the revenue you want to gain. So that is, uh, you know, that will have more information that'll be text heavy, um, that'll be, you know, we're going to make it consumer friendly, you know, in terms of design, but you're going to put a lot of content on that. On the other hand, you have what is called a validation website. A validation website is much more, you think of your corporate firms, your insurance defense firms, um, something where the the um, client is either a general counsel or it's somebody in uh, corporate procurement where um, they want to look at, you know, what is the nature of doing business with this firm? How do they approach law differently? Whereas most of your consumers just want their problems solved. Just, you know, I, I have been in a car accident. I um, want to get a no-fault divorce, you know, something like that. They just want that problem solved. In tone setting, um, validation websites, it's usually the person has, the, the prospective client has heard about the firm in some other way other than just doing a search engine search. 
So it could be met at a conference, could be met at a party, could be um, you know heard about something that somebody wrote and followed a link to the website. And so that is a validation website, and um, you know it validates the type of really the brand promise of the firm. And you recognize what that is. Usually has a tagline, you know something something soaring. Like achieve the possibility or, you know, experience the difference or something like that. And then there's graphics to match. The third type of website is um, what I like to call a single topic or sometimes people call it a microsite. A microsite is um, basically on one topic. Now, we do this a lot for um, firms that um, might have a practice that just can't get enough attention on the main website. So we'll spin it off to its own website. So, for instance, we have a a firm outside of Philadelphia that has probably 20 practices, um, and a lot of them are corporate practices, a lot of them municipal law, administrative law, those type of things. But they have three lawyers in this firm that are heavily into plaintiff's personal injury. Okay, So we have built a couple other websites at a different domain name or URL to to market that particular practice. And um, it's very good for the search engines, but it's only on that topic. All right, so you went through those five mm-hmm. categories where you place everything. Mm-hmm. So clearly of those, the website is the most important. The other four point back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but those other four still seem like they require a huge amount of resources. I mean, I suppose if the website is designed properly, some of that takes care of itself. But social media is going to take resources. If you're doing content marketing, which could fall into any number of those categories, it's going to take effort and resources. How do you work with your clients to to prioritize those things? Either what's more important or where do things tie together and effort in one category helps another category? Well, I find that the best resource you can have is knowledge. Um, And if you have knowledge that um, you need a certain thing or you can learn a certain thing, a lot of these things can be learned. Um, you know, not not to speak against my own self-interest, but I mean, these things are learnable, and all you really have to do is take the time to learn about these different things. And once you know that they're uh, available, you can start to you know dig in deeper. So, for instance, so for instance, um, if you're talking about how do you prioritize with your clients, one of the things that we do is we find out what the goal is. If the goal is lead gen then what we're going to do is a pretty heavy search engine marketing campaign. And that could be search engine optimization. It could be uh, pay-per-click. It could be um, you know, content marketing that goes out over social media. But you know, if, if that, you have to go out and do that type of thing. If the uh, idea of the firm is branding, then what we do is um, we work really hard and put a lot of resources uh, into the tone of the website, the design of the website, what is going to be on the front page, uh, you know, what we're going to have people do. Are they going to get to a white paper? Are they going to get to a, a, you know, a head of a practice um, department? You know, those resources certainly in the search engine and, and, and especially the pay-per-click search engine marketing world, the resources are dollars. I mean, it takes, it's an ad spend. 
Um, and there's ad spends five figures, six figures a month for certain practices. That's how some resources would be allocated. Then there's the resource of time, you know, the resource of, of people in the firm, either they're gonna produce content or they're gonna review content. Um, are they going to look at their, their social media feed? Are they going to participate in LinkedIn? Are they going to comment on things? Are they going to forward things? Time is a resource, you know, especially for the billable hour practices. You know, those, those, are, those are things that have to be taken into account. If firms can do it internally, that's great. A lot of firms can't do it internally, which is one of the reasons my company exists. And, um, you know, and some firms do part of it internally and part they have help from outside service providers. We're coming up on the end of 2019. Uh, and at the end of last year, we, the last episode of last year was um, some major mistakes that, that firms make. They all essentially boiled down to not asking that question in terms of the ultimate goal, as you were, as you were talking about. Where in the process do you start defining that question? Because I, I think a lot of people, you know, you go to a conference or somebody hears from a, a partner at another firm that that they compete with that, oh, we do a lot of SEO, we should be doing a lot of that. And there isn't that question asked. Um, at what point should that question be asked and that strategy be set down? And to what extent should be, there be some flexibility for adding new things in um, as they become available or as, become, as people want to put that effort into or those resources into tools and, and uh, tactics? Well, to put in very, um, you know, business owner business terms, um, a lot of these discussions happen even before the engagement begins. A lot of what we do, especially in the getting to know a, a prospect that has either been referred to us or contact us in some way, uh, is we question them a lot. We want to know exactly what uh, uh, which of our skills are going to be best presented to them to get to the goals that they want. One of the things I like about my company is we have a, a keen awareness of there are differences in firms, there are differences in practices, there are differences in uh, cultures in, in firms. So we do a lot of that talking even before a contract or even proposal goes over to them. Um, so we learn about what are the goals of the firm, are they looking to expand, are they looking to you know, stay the same firm, just more business? Are they looking to change their, their brand? Are they looking to um, be a different personality type firm in the future? So we do a lot of that um, at the beginning. Um, and then we know um, during, then we mold the proposal to that, to that type of goal. Once it starts, we do even more questioning, and we're all about surveys in our company. Um, and we we send a, a survey, uh, you know, questionnaire of, you know, some pretty detailed questions and some questions that most marketing people will have seen these questions before. Uh, sometimes when the client um, has a lawyer representative at in the marketing team, uh, in in some cases, sometimes a lawyer will lead the marketing effort. Um, they've never. They've never thought about these questions before, like what tone do you want to set with your firm's marketing? How do you want others to perceive you? Uh, what makes your insurance defense law firm different than the insurance defense law firm in the next building? You know, what are, what, tell us what makes you different because you have to, differentiation is the, you know, the element of marketing. If everything is the same, I mean, think, think of, gasoline, right? The gasoline that comes out of the pumps at Exxon 
Exxon station is going to be pretty much exactly the gasoline that comes out of Sunoco, right? Um, somehow they have to differentiate those things. It's about marketing. So you have to differentiate in some way because no one is going to be attracted by, yeah, we're just another law firm. You know, we're just selling. But we, can't, we, don't, um, we don't do that. So we do a lot of questioning uh, throughout the process. Where do things change during the, during the process? Um, I, always find it, I always find it fun to have uh, some lawyers wake up during the process and say, oh, wait, this stuff works. Oh wait, this this works. You know, this this campaign we're doing for this partner's um, you know practice, um, you know, works. Can we do that for our practice? And so then there will be other there will be other microsites. There will be other elements of a search marketing campaign, um, and that's that's kind of fun to to see the results in people who um, either were skeptical, you know, at worst skeptical, but most cases either apathetic or just too busy to to pay any attention, suddenly wake up, and then they start paying attention and getting involved in the process. That's, that's a fun point for us at the company. Yeah, successful use cases definitely tend to uh, catch people's attention, especially when they realize they are not getting the benefit that they might be from those same uh, initiatives. You, you find most people want more money. Most people, so. You know, a couple of these things on the list, well, at least one of them, seem pretty straightforward. Um, like local listings and, and, you know, some of them just seem transactional, setting up a profile, setting up an account, making sure that your Google listing is accurate or Yelp or whichever listing is most appropriate. Um, is there any reason that that wouldn't be just a simple check this box kind of thing? Is there any strategy behind that kind of category? Some of the things are somewhat straightforward, like uh, getting control of your Google My Business listing and making sure that that's all filled out properly. Some things are a little bit more difficult. There are certain um, online directories that you do not directly, pardon the pun, go to to put your information in. They actually scrape it from other directories. So you have to find out where that directory has scraped it from. And, and by scrape, I mean it has read the content on another directory, grabbed that information, put it in this directory. One of the things that we uh, do is is we clean up for firms, especially when we're doing ongoing search engine marketing campaigns, the name, address, phone number. It's called the NAP. Name, address, phone number of the firm. If a firm has moved, if the firm has gone through a name change, if the firm has um, you know changed in any significant way, I assure you there are places where the firm is listed online, either intentionally or just by the organics of how the web develops. Um, that where it's going to be inaccurate. And what you want to do is you want to go through each place you are mentioned and uh, you know, make everything uniform. And I mean make it uniform down to are there periods after P and C, you know, at the end of the, at the law firm name. And why is that important? It's because Google takes notice. Google will look. And if there's um, different information and something is, is, called Deckert in one place or Deckert Price and Roads in another place, it will look at that and you'll lose a few points in the search engine game. So you want to make sure that your, your, your house is tidy when it, comes to, when it comes to that. I mean, so that's, I mean, I guess it's funny. There's things that to me seem very straightforward. There's a little bit more nuance to them. And that seems like it's not even a one-time thing. Then it's ongoing. I mean, how often do you need to keep an eye on new directories that you don't control 
adding you to them? I mean, how often do you need to, is this an annual thing or every? Proper search engine marketer will have Google alerts running on their clients to see where new things come out that mention that firm. And you want to make sure, you know, wherever you're mentioned, it's uniform. So, I mean, I guess you could do a, a yearly survey of it, but really, you know, if a Google alert comes up, you should just go ahead and just do it right then and there and try and figure out, as I say, it's not always straightforward. It's not, you know, click here to change your listing in this directory. It's not always that. It's sometimes a little bit more opaque. And, you know, there's a lot of directories that say, oh, we'll pay us to be in our directory and that, that type of thing. But most of them, like Fine Law or Super Lawyers, have a free option that you can be in the directory without paying their fees. Now, they don't trumpet that quite as much, but it is possible to be in there. And I highly suggest that a law firm, uh, you know, lists itself anywhere it's appropriate, you know, and get as many mentions out there as possible and have in the context of the mention whatever you want to get across. Is this a products liability firm? Is it a clash acts? class action firm? Is it a personal injury firm? You know, that that type of a thing. I feel like a lot of these things are ongoing, but but content and social in particular seems like it's a lot of ongoing work. You know, that flow of content that's necessary for social, however simple the content may be for something, say, you know, a tweet. Creating that flow of information is a constant, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I'm going to use struggle for any company, legal uh, firm or otherwise. How so it's, I mean, I feel like you you can't be complete on social. Like it's never something that you're done. You're never complete. How do you approach social for your clients in terms of utilizing it to the best of its ability? You know, some semblance of completeness without making them crazy, without you know overusing resources, without overtaxing their uh, their uh, their their resources. I guess that's, that's the well. We help them to a point, um, and w- and once it gets beyond that point we like to introduce people who are real experts in that world. So the point to which we help them is we help establish their social media presences. We will post things um, that we um, develop in content and and all of that. In terms of actually running uh, social marketing campaigns, we're good friends with a company in Philadelphia that also owned by a former practicing lawyer um, that does that uh, and runs campaigns for law firms because it is easily a full-time job. It is easily a full-time job to to run uh, an effective social media campaign on behalf of a law firm. That said, we do produce a lot of content for our law firms. I, before I was uh, a lawyer, I was trained and uh, worked as a journalist. So uh, writing is incredibly important to me. So um, I have hired attorney writers. All of our writers are um, either former practicing or in some cases still practicing lawyers. So when they write a blog post on behalf of a law firm, it comes from a a legal education standpoint. Now, does that mean that those who are not lawyers cannot write at that level? That does not mean that at all. Of course they can. But we find that there's much greater acceptance if it is coming from somebody who has a legal background um, on behalf of the, the folks that are reading it. So 
we will produce that content. Um, but true um, development of uh, a social media campaign, which is actively going out and getting followers and actively getting likes, actively getting people attracted to your LinkedIn company page, which we will set up, um, that's becoming a specialty. And, and really, um, we know, um, you know that we can, we can be the introduction to that world. And in many cases, the firm can take it over and do it from there. But if they really want to take it to a, a higher level, um, there are people for that. As, at a certain point, you're going to have to bring in someone from outside the firm, bring in a vendor. You know, What's that balance between maintaining an online presence in-house and when you have to call someone who does that one specific task all day, every day? My view is there is no firm that has a marketing department that's big enough. Okay, um, I think that uh, you could almost, if you wanted to really do this right, almost have a one-to-one ratio marketing person per lawyer because um, it's really a full-time job. Even our own marketing in, in our own company for ourselves, um, I could easily have one person working all the time doing what needs to be done. I was just at the Legal Marketing Association um, uh, Southeast Conference where my director of business development, Dean Carey, and I spoke, and we attended uh, a session, and it was um, done by a, a solo marketer at a personal injury firm in North Carolina. And he has advised, he advises tweeting and posting to LinkedIn 20 to 25 times a day. If you can imagine the amount of things that you need to do. Now, it isn't 20 or 25 different pieces of content each day. It's things put different ways, and you know maybe it can be the same article 10 times with things. But really, that's a lot of work. And imagine having to do that for, uh, you know, he's doing it for six lawyers um, or something, something like that. Imagine doing it for a hundred lawyer law firm or something like that. Now, on the idea is that you can't over-communicate in marketing because people are not paying attention anymore. People are not paying attention for long periods of time. They're not going to get bored with you know, this statement or something just because they're not constantly watching your feed and saying, oh, this is repetitive. They're dipping their toe in. They're dipping their toe into the stream every once in a while, and it's different every time, every time it flows. So where do you determine whether you, know, you can do things in-house or have some uh, trusted service provider help? The, the idea is that when all of your marketing people start to uh, get gray hair, that's probably a good indication that you're working them too hard. But really, what I mean to say is if everybody can't be attended to in the 40 to 60 to 80 hours that a marketing person puts in a week, you might want to look at having some outside service provider help. It's not, it's not a binary type thing, yes, you need it, no, you don't need it. I have found some marketing people in firms that are highly skilled and can do quite a bit, but again, I've never seen a firm where I thought, you know, their marketing department is too big. A couple of questions to, to kind of bring this towards a, a point where we can wrap it, wrap it up to, some, to sort of a, a takeaway. I think the website is always going to be central. That's not going to change. Is that, is that, is that a new timeless uh, marketing uh, tool now? That's, I mean, in 20 years, we're still going to have websites in some form or another. I saw my first use of the World Wide Web in 1992 
when I was a student at Villanova Law School, and um, I thought, wow, you know, um, you know, going around and looking at information by pointing and clicking as opposed to what it used to be, which was, you know, arrow, you know, command lines and arrowing down and everything like that. It's a pretty good medium that I haven't seen many people um, getting rid of, thinking that it's superfluous. As I said, um, it's, I mean, think of how much you can do with a relatively little amount of money, relatively, on a website. As I say, creating more and more pages isn't any added cost, really, um, as opposed to printing 10,000 copies of a firm brochure and then something major happens in the firm and one of the partners leaves or you decide to leave offices, you have to shred all that or you have to throw it all out. So do I think it's going to be around in 20 years? I definitely think it's going to be around in 20 years. Uh, now, there's going to be certainly some other forms of communication. When Twitter first came out, um, and I was an early adopter in Twitter, I was an early adopter in LinkedIn as well, um, I didn't really see its use early on. You know, Twitter, for instance, its use in legal marketing, back then it was celebrities you know, showing pictures of what they had for breakfast. I said, this, I'm not sure about this. Over time, though, as journalists got more involved in Twitter and, um, you know, people found that it is really a place for exchange of substantive information, I think it has become part of it. Certainly there will be things that like that that develop. However, just realize everything in Twitter usually has a link back to the website. So it's almost a, if you think of the website as the big shark, um, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and everything are the little fish that swim alongside it, kind of directing, you know, you know attention back to the shark. I mean, you, you partly answered my, uh, my next question. There's a lot of adapting as things change. You know, what's going to come down the pike? Um, whether it's sort of these underlying systems that are affecting it or new social forms. I mean, you're not going to... I'm not asking you to, to uh, predict the next Twitter, but I mean, how is this balance going to shift as technology changes in, say, the next three to five years, maybe? Well, the, the, the trendy thing to say is artificial intelligence. You know, I've, I've, I've been in a lot of conferences with you, and uh, we've, we've been at different things, and there's always a session on AI. You know, I am unsure that AI is going to really replace actual practice of law, but I can see AI um, being developed into websites to serve the needs of the visitors better in some way. A lot of this is already happening, like predicting what language they would like to uh, be viewing based on IP address and, and based on other things. That's a very low level of it. Um, but based on history or, or what they've clicked on, uh, rearranging um, website content based on user behavior, and then um, you know that can work into marketing. So, for instance, if they're constantly clicking on divorce, or they're clicking on the divorce lawyers, or they're clicking on articles about separation agreements, or they're clicking on these type of things, I would I'd like to see the website starting to talk to the customer relationship management um, to start to do a predictive type thing. Maybe this particular viewer, whom we already have in our CRM system, should be getting these type of materials. Some firms are already doing that. I could see that becoming um, more and more 
um, used um, at all different stratas of law firm marketing. Anything you see falling outside of necessity in the near future? Well, I don't see people reading longer and longer pieces of text. Now, why are there longer and longer pieces of text even written? Search engines. I mean, the search engines eat up that stuff, um, and that's a way of getting in there. But uh, if you're thinking that people are going to read a 5,000-word article on subrogation law you know, or something, um, they're probably not. You're doing that for the search engines. In terms of falling away, you know, the, I would say just certain aesthetics um, of web pages. You know, they're used to, I mean, I, I can count, you know, innumerable numbers of, um, well, I guess if I can count, in, I can't count innumerable, but you, but you know what I mean, uh, is the uh, idea that, you know, you used to have the little graphic of somebody walking on the site and talking like, hi, I'm attorney, you know, John Smith, and da, 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 da. you know, th- those type of things that we now look at as cheesy used to be really cool. So there's going to be certain aesthetics that fall away. Eventually, the big hero image of, you know, some sort of skyline type thing with a two or three word uh, tagline over it will probably fall away in favor of something else. Um, and I think that, you know, really mobile devices more and more and more. I see at different things, people not having a laptop anymore, having an iPad, having a phone as their main machine. So I I could see some of those things going away, but tough to to predict the future. Well, sort of as a closing takeaway, uh, if a firm or a solo attorney is looking at their web presence and wondering if they're doing enough, if they've got if there's a completeness to it, are there two or three questions they should be asking themselves that will help them determine that? Sure, I'll try to narrow it down to two or three, but I, I will say, I mean, the first is a, a overall uh, question. Can you identify business or an advancement of your marketing goals from your online presence? I can assure you that um, Nike knows if they send out an uh, email, how many pairs of shoes got sold at their online store? I can assure you Amazon knows that how many of those, you know, people who bought this also bought this, you know, how many clicks they get from that. Um, If you have trouble identifying, have you had business or has your marketing goal been advanced from your online presence, that's a problem, okay? Now, Large corporate law firms aren't going to be, oh, I got this click and this turned into business necessarily, but your more consumer level based ones, you know, personal injury, bankruptcy, divorce, you know, they know they're using marketing tactics. So that, that would be, that would be one. Um, the other is um, look at your online marketing, look at your website. Do you feel good looking at it or does it kind of make your toes curl? You know, um, if if you don't want to tell people about your website, if you don't want their um, impression of you to come from the website, then that's a pretty good indication that there is something not aligned in your in your marketing because it has to suit you and advance your mission, and that really has to be in alignment. Jason, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio Podcast. I'm honored you asked me. I'd also like to thank, at this point, Abby Fairman at Richards, Kibbe, and Orby, who's graciously allowed us to use one of their conference rooms for this interview. 
Thank you also to everyone who's joined us for this episode. Wherever you're listening, please remember to like us and subscribe. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio focused on the needs of the legal industry, working with clients nationally, but based in Brooklyn, New York. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. 